Nutrition is one of the hot topics in the modern Peloton right now. Our guest today was on the front lines working as a chef for various cycling teams for over a decade. She has written multiple books and been featured on a mini-series airing on Amazon Prime cooking during the 2017 Tour de France. It can't be easy cooking on the road out of a kitchen truck compared to a fancy kitchen in restaurants. So please welcome Chef Hannah Grant today on Bobby and Jens. Welcome Hannah Grant to Bobby and Jens. Thank you guys for having me. Well, you know, this is going to be really cool because you are such an important part of the racers in the Tour de France. There's so much talk about nutrition and diet and food. And I think a lot of our listeners just assume that we're cruising around in private jets, that we're staying in five-star location hotels, that we've got, you know, just the whole entire restaurant at our beck and call. But to those of us that know, that is not necessarily the case. So really, I just wanted to get your perspective on being a chef in the Tour de France, working out of sometimes the, the hotel restaurant, but most of the time your, your cooking truck. Oh, man, Bobby, where do I start? This is like, uh, you know, I think, I mean, a lot of lot, a lot has happened the past, I mean, 10 years, past 15 years, a lot has happened. Um, I mean, as, as a chef on a team, just to, to take it as like a general thing, I mean, obviously your main job is to cook for the riders. That's your number one priority. But other than that, as a chef, you have so many things to juggle around that. I mean, you have logistics. You, I mean, if you've been to uh, France in July, you know the traffic is outrageous. So you got to juggle traffic from hotel to hotel. You got to shop. You got to be in places like in on time. Um, obviously, cater to sponsors at the hotel, sports directors, you know, communicate with hotels. It's, it's such an enormous job other than just cooking, being a chef at a team. So, um, yeah, it's a lot to do. Definitely. So, Wendy asked you to join your first Tour de France as the official team kitchen chief. Did you know anything about how big the tour is? Did you know what are you in for, for an adventure? Or you just, yeah, I just jump in the water and learn to swim. Oh my God, Jens, I had no idea. I mean, thankfully, my, my first time with the team, so I was hired uh, in November of 2010 um, to basically cook for the training camp in January for the full team. And um, so I had sort of like a, a taste of what was coming my way, but I had no idea what a, what a grand tour like the Tour de France was going to be like. My first time with the riders was a uh, training camp in Mallorca. Uh, 29 riders. We had just gotten Alberto Contador to the team. Uh, lots of press, lots of new faces. And um, I was to cook three meals a day for 29 riders in like for 14 days alone in a hotel kitchen in Spain with, I must say, honestly, like probably like the worst one of like the Spanish kitchens aren't always the best. So oven not functioning, stovetop not functioning, pans not really working, you know, me not speaking Spanish. It was, it was honestly a nightmare for everybody involved. Um, 
And, you know, 29 riders at a training camp was, uh, if you've ever met a bike rider, you know that one rider doesn't eat like one normal person. It's like cooking for three people. So this was like cooking for like 90 people for 14 days. Um, and uh, I realized that that was, that was a, it was a, a task that was going to be almost mission impossible. <laughs> um, I made it through the training camp Um the riders were, you know, this was the first time I was meeting them. And as a trained chef, I, you know, I know how to cook stuff. And I had had a lot of, uh, you know, meetings with the team and team nutritionist and Bjarne and Anadolid um, about, you know, what was the nutritional guidelines? And they wanted more vegetables. They wanted more whole foods. They wanted more everything cooked from scratch and so on. And I thought, OK, well, no problem. I can do that. Little did I know was that the riders definitely didn't want to follow, you know, those guidelines. They they just, they wanted pasta and ketchup. They wanted what they had, you know, what they were used to. Um, and one thing at that time was they wanted to minimize the um, amount of sugar in the food on the table when they weren't on the bike. And removing that from, like, just removing the ketchup from the table was like, you know, outrageously panic, like panic attacks amongst the riders. So um, it was sort of like a clash, me being there for the first time, trying to meet everybody, trying to make everybody happy, figuring out that, you know, I'm cooking stuff the team wants, but the riders, they were like, no way, we don't want this. So the first year was um, interesting, um, but, you know, slowly you sort of like, uh, you go from, you figure out, okay, at the, you know, go to the races. My first race was Paris-Nice, and um, I had just gotten my driver's license, and they gave me a van in uh, Paris, and they were like, good luck, we'll see you in Nice, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, then that was my first race, and the team, sort of like, you know, the staff and the crew at night would entertain themselves um, by asking me questions about cycling. So it would be, you know, what color is the jersey, uh, the, the mountain jersey in the Tour de France? I I had no idea. Honestly, I had no idea. You know, I was there to cook. I had really focused on what, you know, what is the nutritional important part? But I didn't know anything about cycling. So they would like laugh their asses off every night, you know, with me being like, it's purple or, you know, having absolutely no idea of cycling lingo or anything like that. So it was just crazy, 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 crazy. Well, it sounds like you were definitely thrown into the deep end of the pool there. And, you know, cyclists, I think athletes in general are very habitual eaters, right? Yep. When we're at home, we eat a certain thing. When we go to the race, that level normally goes down. Huh. And don't throw shade at ketchup or Tabasco sauce, because when Jens and I were racing, that was the yep. only thing that made the food palatable. Exactly was ketchup and Tabasco sauce, at least for yeah. me. Um, but yeah, like at the beginning, you know, there there have been chefs that followed the Tour de France around for a long time that would just kind of come in, give a couple caps, maybe a water bottle, maybe buy a bottle of wine for the, for the head chef and use their kitchen. But when you had to start cruising around, and I think Bjarna and his wife, Anadota, was were very, very, um, the forerunners at yeah. looking at nutrition as a performance advantage, right? Definitely. But it's 
Bjarna's way and so many people's way is like, I want it like this, get it done. They don't really think from A to Z of all those little variables that are thrown in there. So I always wondered when we would get back from the race and we'd be starving and there would be food there and then we'd go get a massage and we'd come down and then there'd be the, the you know, the rider buffet, how that food just suddenly appeared there because it wasn't the rot gut uh, bleached overcooked chicken and overcooked pasta. It was suddenly yeah. like a Michelin star meal that we weren't used to. That some of the things that were on that buffet were, yeah, maybe for us the first time that we've ever tasted them. But when you're cruising around and having to deal with all these logistical aspects, where do you find the time to buy and store this food? Because I would imagine that you guys don't have massive storage capacity in those kitchen trucks, do you? Well, so I was very, very privileged uh, back then having probably the biggest truck in the like kitchen truck in the Peloton, the, the first proper big one. Um, the first truck that that the team had was sort of like a, ho a luxurious home kitchen inside an old truck that the um, that the mechanics like they didn't want to drive it because the brakes were terrible. But uh, the kitchen inside was really nice, and it was like I had two large, nice home fridge, like home size fridged. Uh, but um, so I, I had the option of when I could shop and when I could find a nice supermarket um, to store more than if you were, you know, just going from hotel to hotel and cooking in the kitchens. So that was a big luxury. However, when you have a truck, you have cleaning. I mean, it, it's filling up. It's so much, it's so much work. And being one person, just to give you a reference, now like Team Jumbo-Visma, they have eight ships. They have eight team shifts. And back then, you know, when you were one chef, they were like, of course you can do it all. Um, so, so the 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 amount of food that you really have to go, you know, shop. I mean, just going to the supermarket shopping for. I used to, I used to explain this. You know, I'm sort of like the uh, the uh, a canteen mama for eight or nine guys, right? Starving guys, like teenagers, like teenagers on bikes, right? Crazy hungry guys, and just shopping for this is, you know, it's an hour long process, grabbing everything into the car driving two, three hundred kilometers to the next hotel, getting it in, prepping it and so on. So, I mean, it, it's it's um, it's a time consuming job. But as I sort of like, uh, you know, stayed at the team for for five years, we got a new truck the year after and the fridges got bigger so I could actually stock up food for three, four days, which made it easier to prep sort of like restaurant wise. So you could be ahead of, you know, ahead of time. Um, but cooking in the hotels, oh my God, that was outrageous. Sometimes they would look at you, you would come to the hotel and beforehand you would send an email introducing yourself. I'm coming to the team. I would like to have a table set up. Can I please use your kitchen? And if you were lucky, you got an answer. And if not, you would have to wing it when you arrived to the hotel. And very often I would, uh, I would get pushback from the French chefs uh, because they would say, where's the chef? And I'm... Um, I'm the chef. And they're like, no, no, you're female. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> but I'm the chef and that's what it is. They're like, no, Mr. Grant, where is he? And I'm like, well, he's right here and, and he's a she. 
So that was the first push. They were like, what? And then I got a lot of pushback also because then the chef was like, why is my food not good enough for these athletes? You know, not why I don't understand why they would worry me taking their job for one day, right? They could chill out and not have to cook for these guys. But they would make it extremely difficult, right? They were like, yeah, you can use the kitchen from 3 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. And I'm like, well, the guys, they need to eat at like maybe around eight. And they're like, well, that's what we can help. Like, that's what we can do for you. <laughs> and so, you know, the logistics was at some, day, like some hotels, extremely complicated, like really, really complicated. Um, but, you know, you do your best. You get some help from uh, your French speaking uh, colleagues to sort of like, you know, make your way through. And sometimes it was just no like no way and then you would try and stand in the the Swanyo's kitchen in the mechanics truck with like a little cooktop and like I mean it's impossible to cook for eight nine riders in a tiny kitchen like that but you would at least then cook something you knew that they needed extra and at least maybe cook something on time because sitting in a restaurant as a rider you know the timing I mean I know the timing is essential the food on the table for riders they're starving you know that and so they don't want to sit and hang out with a little amuse bouche and wait 45 minutes for their pasta right it needs to be on the table when they sit down so it was um it was it was an adventure uh in the french kitchen spanish kitchen and, and italian kitchens as well yeah so <laughs> Did all that uh, got better over the years? And is the differences? Was it harder to get in a French kitchen than, for example, into an Austrian or a kitchen into a Switzerland? The, the, or the French kitchens were definitely the hardest ones. It was sort of like there was a lot of pride involved from the chef um, in order to let me in. Uh, however, you know, every year we would come back to the same hotels uh, sometimes. And... You know, once I'd gone in and I'd really behaved nicely and, you know, cleaning and they got to taste my food and, you know, um, then they were sort of cool. They were like, ah, you know, we've set it up. We know how it is. And then I remember every year in the tour, for some reason, we stayed at the same hotel in Gap. Um, it was not a luxury hotel at all, um, but they were so nice. I mean, I loved them. They said they had no room for anything and the riders were eating sort of like in the entrance with the little table set up but they were just the best and they were doing everything they could to sort of like help out so you know as the years progressed of course it got easier and also the hotels understood that we weren't there to annoy them we were there to help them out and make their lives easier because they didn't have to worry about all this special diet stuff um but it was you know when you're at a grand tour like the Tour de France, you know, it's 21 race days, two rest days, and you arrive one or two days before. So for a chef, it's 25, 26 days of work straight. And having to use and spend your energy on arguing with chefs in the kitchen whether or not you're allowed to get in or whether or not their food is good enough is, you know, you don't, you just, you don't have that much battery, right? You got to save it for the important stuff. So it was, um, it, it, my patience would be, uh, you know, on trial occasionally. But when you started, I think that riders just wanted food to taste good, yeah. right? Like we all want to sit down and at the end of a hard day and just eat something that's good. 
But now with all the macros, uh, you know, the, the protein, the fat, the carbohydrate, it's almost like an equation. Did you have to adapt your cooking strategies to really curtail to these specific like numbers and of, of macros per kilogram of body weight, or was it kind of a little bit less strict? So, than, so, than so that? back then from 11 to 15, when I was with Bianca's team, it was, uh, it was a little less strict in that way that, um, compared to now, because like we didn't have scales on the table. Uh, they didn't have individually uh, measured out uh, sheets on a daily basis of, you know, this is how much you burn through, this is how much you need. Um, and there was, it was sort of, I would say, it was sort of like a shift from a, a more old school mentality into a newer, so like a new school, what I would say the food is nowadays in cycling. Is, it was sort of like a shift. Um, so there wasn't... The riders were uh, expected, and this sounds insane when I say it right now, to also sort of like educate themselves within, uh, you know, an amount of pasta, like how how much carb, like how many carbs is that and how much do I need on a sort of like an average uh, basis so that they could, I measure things. But I mean, it's obviously also, it was impossible and it's it's very difficult to do for riders to measure things like that. Um, so we had on occasions we had sort of like uh, visualized stuff with like okay this is how much 100 grams looks like so they had an idea and this is how much that, that looks like um, but it wasn't at all in, in, in details as it is nowadays at all um, so for them it was more you have to get protein at each meal you have to get your carbs in and they would eat more intuitively, definitely. Obviously guided by the doctors who would obviously keep track on, you know, uh, fat percentage, uh, weight, et cetera, and so on. But it was a little more, I would say, when I look back now in the blind compared to how precise everything is at most teams today. Yeah. Well, it's more precise, but me, I'm old-fashioned. I think it's not as much fun. When they tell you, hey, you can have 321 yeah. grams yeah. of these today i don't know if i would like that i mean i'm a grown-up man you know I'm raising six kids and then yeah. somebody tells me what to eat or i don't know but back to the next question for our listeners do you have any crazy numbers you remember how many eggs you went through or how many whatever <laughs> liters of milk you oh used or kilograms of pasta or whatnot do you have any of these numbers on top of your head because i guess it's gotta no, be impressive I right say i have killed i'm like on my account like so many chickens have died and i've butchered them like it's insane i don't oh man i could like i could definitely count that i want to say oh man how how um oh. I mean, thousands and thousands of chickens and eggs. It's it was insane. I mean, um, how, look, a quick quick uh, calculation. Like a rider would, on average, eat two eggs a day, right? Um, two eggs a day uh, times twenty five. So right, it's nine riders, eighteen per day. Make it twenty. Make, make it so twenty eggs tw per day. Twenty eggs per day times, let's say, uh, Tour de France. So that's twenty five. I mean, it's it's it's. We're in, in like 50, 60,000, I can't even, I mean, it's so many eggs. It's outrageous. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's absurd. I mean, it's, it's, 
the amount of shopping I've done, uh, I'm just thinking how many kilos I've carried across France in bags of stuff into the truck. It's, it's, yeah, it is, it's absurd amounts. Um, I mean, just to look at the table as it is, it, they have so much to choose from. And it's, it's, you know, my philosophy was always, you know, don't mix things. It's sort of like, um, bike riders are a little bit like kids when it comes to food, when, you know, the visualizing thing, you know, you have to be able to see what's in it. Uh, if you can't see what's in it, it's uh, mysterious and then possibly you won't eat it and you can't trust, you know, you can't trust the food. It's very much about trust always. Trust the chef, trust the food. So the visual part has to be, you know, what is in this? And um, so, like, I mean, the the piles and piles of food, it, it's, you know, um, it, it was an interesting job as a chef for me. I used to work at a Michelin-style restaurant and... Going from tiny, tiny, tiny portions, right, played it with little tweezers into, I mean, Italian mama piles on serving trays and trying to aesthetically have like making it look beautiful and pretty and inviting. You know, that's the first thing, right? What you see is has to look has to look amazing. You want to eat it with your eyes. And if you want to eat it with your eyes, there's a good chance you want to eat it as well, right? So... <clears throat> Um, that as well was a, a, a big thing. How do you make giant portions look amazing? It worked out, thankfully. Thankfully. Um, yeah. I'm sure you got some interesting looks from the supermarket people when you were checking out with like five carts uh, tied with a rope behind you like Santa Claus's sleigh. Um, I'd hate to think about how much each of those little sorties to the uh, supermarché actually rung up on the credit cards as well. But, you know, there's special days that come during a grand tour. Somebody's birthday, somebody's anniversary, a grand, a win of in the race. Did you ever do anything special or did you ever have any unique requests from either riders or staff that you went out of your way to, to make on that special day? I would always make a big deal about birthdays and make sure, I mean, as I got to know the riders, I knew exactly what their favorite cake or meal was. Um, and I would always like ask them so that I could prepare in advance. And um, I mean, I've we had a Danish rider, Chris Anga, who, um, the late Chris Anga, who was uh, really, I mean, such a kind soul. And he had a very, like, classic taste for, like, super Danish classic birthday cakes. And we were in Spain at the Vuelta, and it was scorching. It was so hot. And his birthday was every year at the Vuelta, and he wanted, like, a Danish classic birthday cake, which is, like, whipped cream with strawberries. And the cake was, I mean, it was almost Mission Impossible, keeping it from not, like, melting um, and getting fresh cream in the southern part of Spain is extremely difficult. But, you know, um, trying to call around, figuring out what the special shops are and getting some stuff and making it happen. I mean, the best you can, um, you know, it benefits all the riders. They all love it. And at birthdays, they get to eat, you know, what they, you know, there's there's no nutritional rules at the birthday. You know, they don't they get to eat a piece of uh, nice cake. So, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was sort of like I tried to also, um, if they had recipes, like uh, 
Richie Port gave me his mom's banana bread recipe. And he's like, can you make this for me? And I'm like, yes, of course I can. You know, that was also, if they had requests like that, first of all, if for me, it's really cool to, you know, like know what they come from and what, you know, what type of food are they, you know, into also when they were kids and the comfort food, because the food has, you know, other than the nutritional value and being fuel for the riders, it also has the comforting part, right? It soothes them. It it helps them. It boosts morale. So I was really trying to take into consideration, you know, what were they used to, especially when you have a team of, you know, different nationalities, you know, you can't serve one thing and have everybody be happy. So I really tried to like figure out, okay, well, we have someone from Japan. We have someone from Spain. We have someone from, you know, Denmark. How do I like accommodate all these wishes and at least make sure that they have one day where they're like, yes, like, I love this today, right? Giving them something to to look forward to. Um, yeah. So I would definitely uh, try and and do my best to to cook what really, you know, helped them out. At the, even also if it was a shitty day on the bike, right? You know, it's been raining. Maybe I remember one year in the Giro, it was snowing all the time. It was maybe it was in 13. It snowed and it snowed and it snowed. It was insane. And they were so cold and, you know, taken off in the morning. I just see them being like, oh God, it's going to be the worst day ever. And then at the breakfast table, just telling them, hey guys, when you get back, I'm cooking this for dinner. And they're like, oh, thank God we could look forward to this. You know, that was like the motivations, like just cross the finish line. We're going to get this, you know. So, yeah, that was, um, that could make or break something a little bit extra, right? Little morale boost. Did you ever have to fight off the rest of the team not stealing the food off the riders? Yes. Yes. Especially, um, I mean, in the beginning, I had to really... It was strict rules. Riders had to eat first. Once they were done and all the staff would sit with their eyes on the rider food. And then once I'd be like, okay, <laughs> like vultures, rah, they would come and like eat the rest. Um, because, you know, you're, you're traveling around and it's definitely not five-star hotels. It's more like one or two-star hotels. And so the food is, it, it, it's pretty bad for the staff as well at most times um especially when you're in france so they would like i also i knew with the hotel plan oh my god i don't know if can i like should i name drop hotel chains here i think we've all been to like a campanile right yes. you know a campanile uh -huh, indeed. oh god oh my god it's like it's like mold in a box it's the not what nightmares are made of that's the campanile kitchen and bathroom and and beds I'm sure they fixed it by now, but back there was awful. And uh, so if you could see a Campanile, it would be like, oh God, okay, I got to shop extra. Like I got to like, you know, make more because the staff is going to be starving. So um, yeah, I, I made my best, but I did my best to try and like make sure that there was some stuff for, for the staff as well. However, I also had to fight off riders from other teams because in the beginning, not everybody had a chef. And so they would be like, with their eyes, you know, like, ooh, like try to like make a bread roll and so on. And um, I was the first uh, chef to have an apprentice. So we were very, extremely luxurious back then. 
a cycling team with two chefs. Unheard of. Unheard of. Um, so my apprentice would sort of like guard, guard the buffet because, you know, the long fingered dudes, you know, one time he was like, I gave, I can't remember someone from BMC. Maybe it was like, um, uh, man, someone was leading. I can't remember. BMC racer. I can't, it will come to my mind in, in a moment. And my apprentices, he was like, oh, I just gave him a bread roll. I'm like, like, if he wins tomorrow, like that's, it's because of that bread roll. I'm like, don't give him the super fuel. So no, it was, but it was interesting. It was a fun thing to see. And then every year when the road had changed and we got new riders, you know, you had had riders from other teams being like looking at the food for so many years and they're like, oh my God, I can't wait to eat this and like eating. And they would meet their old teammates and they'll be like, <laughs> like <laughs> taking the food and being like, I'm on like, I can eat this food now. And it was just, it was, it was a hilarious thing in that way because, you know, yeah, as a rider, you sit and you look, what are the other getting? Like, what are the others getting, right? And sometimes, you know, especially if you're the team that has to eat the hotel food, it's, you feel left out and sad. I don't even know if anyone of the teams eat hotel food anymore. I think all, the, all teams have chefs right now. We'll be back after this short break. Well, guess what? Luckily for our listeners, you have written... A cookbook. I the Grand have. Grand Tour Cookbook. So tell us a little bit about the genesis and your motivation between making a cookbook based off of what you learned feeding a bunch of hungry, cranky cyclists. So the Grand Tour Cookbook was originally published in 2013 and was based on a Tour de France, like a full Tour de France menu. And back then, um, serving vegetables at the Tour de France and uh, Whole Foods and uh, cold-pressed, you know, sort of like uh, oils other than olive oil was super strange. And um, so I documented a full menu, like every day, images, everything, and created this book to sort of like uh, show people what we were doing. Um, and... Sort of like the philosophy is obviously everything made from scratch. Beautiful, uh, whole foods, simple to make. The idea was also that the riders had to be able to make it themselves at home. That was sort of the idea. I, I know that never sort of like really happened. A lot of the riders' uh, wives were cooking from it, thankfully. Um, but uh, yeah, it was published in 13 and uh, it was sort of like the potpourri of the Tour de France with interviews of the riders from the team. And uh, it was, it, it got extremely popular because people were very interested in sort of like, you know, what are they eating? When are they eating? What's the timing of the meals? Like um, all the details, sort of like the basic nutrition of this. And so uh, this year, it's been 10 years since the book came out and it was published in five languages. So I've decided to make a new version and all new recipes all new rider interviews. I've had uh, interviews with the nutritionist from a lot of the big teams, Yomba Visma, Wei, um, and it's just been sort of like brought into 2023 um, with much more detail on the nutrition. If you want to know, you know, how many grams of protein, how many grams of carbs do the pros eat? What do they do? And the interesting part is it's so different from 
you know, rider to rider, what works. Some are like you, Jens, very intuitive in the eating, but some are very strict and they follow digital apps on what to eat. So, yeah, so the new book is um, recipes that are easy to do and are great for fueling athletes, pro athletes and uh, leisure time athletes as well. Um, and the idea is that you can cook it and your family can eat along as well because riders are human beings and the idea is that you can also sort of like fuel yourself for your riding, but everyone will eat along as well. So that's sort of like the, uh, the concept of it. So you go into printing soon, I believe, and in between these two books, you uh, became a little bit of a TV star as well. Is that right? Yes. So in between the two books, I um, I published another book called Eat, Race, Whim, uh, which is sort of like it came out the same time as the Amazon Prime show Eat, Race, Whim um, that was filmed in 17 uh, with Orica Greenwich and was uh, aired in 18. And that show was based on the first book, Grand Tour Cookbook. Um outrageously crazy as a chef uh, with a published cookbook. I had never uh, ever imagined that uh, a producer would call me and say, hey, we want to make a TV show based on your cookbook. Um, and uh, so, but but crazy things happened. And uh, when he called me, the team, I the team had closed down. Uh, obviously, Bjarne's old team, uh, Tinkoff, had closed down. So we had to find another team to sort of like uh, connect to. And that was Orica Greenwich. And so as a chef uh, coming into the team, trying to like merge in, get to know the riders very fast and um, and pull off that show was crazy uh, because it takes time to obviously get to know people and so on. But we made it happen and um, it's a pretty cool sort of like six uh, episode uh, mini docuseries on Amazon. Um, yeah. And it won an Emmy. How crazy is that? Wow. Wow. But... <clears throat> Do, do I have this correct that Dr. Stacy Sims um, actually is your business partner and helped you with the Eat, Race, Win book? Can you tell us a little bit about Dr. Sims, please? Yeah. So And your relationship so, with her? So uh, I, uh, I started working with the Dr. Stacy Sims at the cycling team back in 2014. Um, we had a change of sponsors at the team and a change of the ownership and so on. And um, I went and sort of like requested the management to have a nutritionist to sort of like, you know, connect with because uh, we had a lot of new riders and then wanted to just make sure that all the questions that I got and so on was, you know, on spot. And so he connected me to Dr. Stacy Sims, um, who was a, a part of the sponsors of the team back then with Osmo Nutrition, which was a hydration brand. Um, and Stacy and I sort of like uh, got along very well, and her nutrition and food philosophy was very much along the lines of uh, what I had worked with and what sort of like my my interest uh, was as well. So we started working together, and um, we worked on the cookbook Eat, Race, Win, which is compared to Grant to Cookbook is sort of like a full year uh, for endurance athletes. Um, instead of just a grand tour. So it takes you through off-season, spring, summer, um, fall, winter, and sort of like how the year changes and um, how you should eat uh, during the year. 
uh, seasonal ingredients uh, and so on. So it's sort of like um, a more like whole year instead of just the tour. Then uh, with Stacy, uh, this was sort of like an interesting uh, uh, connection. We back in in seventeen, um, we started talking about uh, hydration and traveling, and so we decided to create a company, a hydration company, that made. Um, hydration products for athletes traveling. So we created a product called My Flight Pack, which was sort of like a three-step hydration system that would help athletes um, sort of like get over uh, jet lag and be less dehydrated when traveling across uh, the globe for competitions and so on to be, you know, ready for uh, for competition faster. And um, when we sort of like first uh, developed it and launched it back in Jetlag brand uh, launched in uh, late 2019. Um, it was interesting to see, you know, it, it got popular very quickly. And we saw that sort of uh, business travelers uh, would pick up on it as well, because obviously they would suffer from dehydration in the airplane as well. And they had to go to meetings, not a not a race, but had to go to meetings. Um, so that, that picked up quite fast. Uh, and uh, a fun fact, Inside an airplane, uh, you have an air humidity that's three times as dry as the Sahara Desert. So you basically sit in a little dry oven when you're in an airplane. And if you don't replenish that, you know, uh, liquid that you basically uh, lose, um, that's why you feel so extra, extra horrible when you land. Also with the time uh, difference. Yeah, so we launched that product and then uh, COVID came and shut down all uh, flights on the planet. Uh, in um, 2020, and that was sort of like the pivot into everyday products. So we developed a sleep product, uh, so a hydration sleep product that would help uh, athletes um, lower production of stress hormone and fall asleep faster. So get more deep sleep and more REM sleep. So this is what we do actually now. Um, we have this this brand as well. So it was sort of like a, a crazy, uh, crazy road from food and nutrition into hydration and, and sleep. And they're all sort of like tangled together in terms of, you know, good sleep and performance as well overall. Yeah. So uh, that that was like the long story of it. So I still work with Stacy. Yes. <laughs> um, that sounds like you're pretty busy and you looks like you settled down a little bit. Um, you're not going to go to the next Tour de France anymore because you're too busy with your book and your company. And would you ever consider to open a restaurant yourself? I've had that question so many times. Um, I think I sort of want to, but I'm, I'm, it's sort of also um, the the extreme, like it's, it's um, logistics and the very physical hard work of having a restaurant. Uh, I think compared to being able to create recipes and help people, you know, to learn to cook at home, I think that's sort of like more the way I want to go. But I'll do pop-up uh, restaurants, definitely. Do some small events uh, where people can come and eat the food. But I think it's more important that people can cook the food at home. That way more people actually eat my food, which is, uh, I think, the best point. And going back to Dr. Stacy Sims, what I liked about her... What, what, what her mantra is, is that, you know, women are not small men. Yeah. And 
in the last couple of years, uh, full disclosure, I am I work for Super Sapiens, which is a continuous yeah. glucose monitoring platform, and I learned so much about metabolism yeah. and that everybody is different. So a question surrounding the CGM, have you ever used a CGM to test some of your recipes to see how it responds to yourself or to different athletes? I haven't tested anything on myself. Uh, however, I've had a lot of feedback on uh, a lot of the cakes that I create for riding in terms of like getting the right, right amount of energy when you're riding. Um, I haven't had the privilege of actually going into sort of like a lab and testing it in that way. I know Super Sapiens, I, I had a long discussion uh, with the nutritionist from uh, Jumbo Visma about uh, yeah, the, the, the monitoring of this, which is um, extremely interesting. And I would love to test some of my recipes. So if you can hook me up with it, it would be extremely interesting. Definitely. I'll gladly come cook. That would be a, that would be very, very, very interesting. Um, another uh, fact we haven't talked about yet, that uh, you were part of the rally Paris-Dakar. So you did some uh, cooking or providing recipes where you actually in the desert cooking there, or how do we have to imagine uh, that? Yes, um, I did. Uh, I joined the Dakar rally uh, in 2019. Yeah, 19, 2008, 19, yeah. And uh, it was it was crazy. Uh, we were in South, uh, South America. Uh, I joined a team called X-Raid. And um, they wanted to have uh, better fuel for their staff. Uh, 100 German guys in the desert. Um, it's hot. It's long working days. Um, and they, they wanted to up the nutrition. Uh, because at this you know, current state uh, of the team, they were heating sausages and basically just eating hot dogs every day. Um, so, so I got hired uh, into the team uh, with my um, with uh, one of my chef uh, colleagues to uh, to cook for them during the Dakar rally, which was crazy. So the kitchen was outside uh, with gas burners, um, and the sand in in the desert is fine, fine. It's so fine that sand, and it gets everywhere. So it was um, a crunchy experience. A fried food on the pan, definitely. Um, and I would say it's Tour de France on steroids, uh, having to, the, the distances you have to drive and cooking for so many people at the same time. So it was a, it was an interesting thing to try, um, but I think I'll stick to cycling, definitely. Um, yeah. Feeding 100 German guys, uh, mechanics, that's tough. That is tough. Even harder than feeding riders. You know, we've spoken a lot about you cooking for others. You also have to eat. So I'm curious of what is your favorite meal and would you want to cook it yourself or have someone else cook it for you? Oh, I feel like it's a little bit of a cliche answer because my favorite meal is typically the meal that I'm invited for. I love when other people want to cook for me and I'm, um, you know, I'll, I'll take whatever they cook with open arms. No, it's, it's, uh, I think as a chef, uh, you, uh, people are scared to cook for you. 
So a lot of people are nervous and they don't want to cook. So uh, when I'm invited for a meal, you know, I'm very, very happy and uh, always, you know, uh, eating with joy. However, um, I love a good like spaghetti bolognese or spaghetti ragu, like classic uh, old school comfort food that is really good. So I cook it myself. I love it. And if anyone wants to invite me over for that, oh my God, I absolutely love it. Easy peasy. And it's made in a thousand different ways. So, you know, everybody has their little touch on it. So that's definitely something you can do. So when you get invited and people cook for you, and I mean, you as a world-class expert, kitchen chief, you probably take the first bite and you know too much salt or not enough <clears throat> of this. Would you then sometimes have to bite your tongue and go, oh, this is great. I'm loving it. And you know, <laughs> ah, we could, he could use a little oh more God. of this or that, but since they are your friends, you cannot really tell them I that it's so bad. Much, I lie so much. I lie so much to be nice. I mean, the worst thing, the worst thing is uh, you're at a wedding party, right? And uh, you have a full menu and everybody's sitting and eating. And then all of a sudden, somebody decides to sort of like silence the room and say, so Hannah, what do you think about the food? And it's like, why do you, like, why do you want to, you know, I will never, ever say my honest opinion because it doesn't, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to ruin anyone's day, but it's it, typically it's lovely and nice. I'll find something nice to say. But uh, yeah, no, I I mean, you, you got to wrap it, wrap it up in a nice package and uh, and deliver it, deliver what people want to hear and make that a, a part of the party. Yeah. You know, you know, it's made with effort. Um, So that's the important part. That is the important part. I'm just saying, but it's if it's really, really good, I will definitely, I'll burst it out whilst eating, right? You won't be in a doubt if it's like, wow, that is, you know, really, really good. So, uh, yeah. I find it quite unique because I do have a couple friends that, that are chefs and we'll go out for, I don't know, my buddy Anthony up in Philly would go out for cheesesteak or for pizza. And I'd just be sitting there thinking, gosh, this is so under his b bar of tolerance, right? But he was like you. He never said anything. My buddy Michael Kramer here in, in Greenville, South Carolina, has makes my favorite dish. His gnocchi is like to die for. But yeah, I would never want to invite him over to my house and try to make that same thing. So I've always been very, very... And then very, ask very... him if he likes it. <laughs> and like, be yeah, grill, just be well, like, now hey, I know. grill me. Grill me on like, do you like it or not, right? No. Critique me, you know, tell me the honest yeah. truth. But um, I've, I've always been impressed with the way that other chefs eat out and never seem to really pass that much judgment. It seems like they're taking things in to to learn from or or whatnot, but not really throwing, throwing shade at anybody I mean, else, I think but... if you know the chef at the restaurant, right? And if you're having a meal together with somebody, you don't want to, and most people enjoy it because they don't, understand that the detail of sort of like flavor and texture and cookings as as you do as a chef so you don't want to ruin the meal for everybody else but if you talk to your friend afterwards you know he's gonna say so how was it and then you spill the beans and you're like this was you say it in a nice way you know but then that's when you talk about the technique but it's also if i start 
over it. If a chef starts talking about, you know, the meal, oh, ah, it needs a little this, it needs a little that, and you start picking at it, everybody's like, yeah, it's right. You know, it needs a little bit. You don't want to ruin the, the good vibe. You just want to keep it nice. Everybody's happy. And then, you know, if they want the feedback, you know, you, you know that they're going to get it. Um, but it's sort of like the optional thing, right? Um, so, and if your friends are chefs, you, you'll let them know. But not on opening night. If everything's in the shit, you let, you know, they know. So you don't need to tell them. Okay, now a practical and easy question for our listeners. What is your best way, most efficient way of cooking? A gas oven, this modern induction electricity, or just your old-fashioned round electric uh, cooking surface? Well, what do you prefer? Uh, no. What's the easiest for a beginner, for a normal cook? I mean, I think... Uh, induction burners are really easy to control and you can't burn yourself on them. I mean, you got to really make an effort to burn yourself on them. Um, I'm a, a big fan of anything that goes into the oven, sort of like Dutch oven food, anything that you can like assemble and leave. And so it's passive cooking time. Even if you have a pressure cooker and nowadays air fryers are a big thing, you know, anything that, let me put it this way, anything that gives you the confidence to go into the kitchen and start cooking is great. So don't make it too advanced, like start basic stuff, right? You know, um, most important, cooktop, yes, whatever you have at home, use it, but get a good frying pan. I mean, look at your frying pans. If they look beat, beat up, if the surface is scratched, give yourself the gift of a nice new frying pan because nothing beats that like nice, no surface of like frying a piece of fish or stuff not sticking or an omelet that's like smooth to flip, you know, a good frying pan. That's a really good investment. So that's, uh, I think that's even more important than the cooktop. Not sponsored. Well, Hannah, <laughs> this, this has been fun, um, informative. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go and throw away all my wife's frying pans because <laughs> everything sticks to them. The same here, the same I just crossed my arm like, oh, we are in trouble. I think I need to throw them all out. Exactly. It's all good. But thank you so much for sharing your, your time with us today. It's been a pleasure having you on, on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lots of fun. Thank you. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Hannah for being our guest today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens, and let us know what your favorite post-ride meal is.